Asshole Court is a bi-weekly podcast in which a group of lifelong friends choose a controversial public figure and examine their history through available public records and various publications to determine if that person is as much of an asshole as the general public suspects. We rate the subjects on a not-so-scientific scale, ranging from Mr. Rogers to Hitler, 1 to 11, and average out the three scores in the end for our final number. Just a reminder, our judgment has no legal weight, is strictly an opinion, and is subject to change at any time, especially in the case of new evidence. It shouldn't be taken seriously, so just don't. We've covered a number of status symbols on this show, many in the tech world, a few in the political realm, unfortunately a few folks that just remind you of death, but I'm not sure if there has been a show subject that objectifies the image of being cool more than today's show. Hugh Hefner defined the line, men want to be him and women want to be with him. He lived a life that dudes just dream of, and what you can imagine it was like appears to have been mostly true. He had a house that hosted more celebrity parties than the Kardashians could even shake a stick at, and until COVID sent everyone home to work, he was one of the few people on the planet that could wear a robe, slippers, and smoke a pipe all day at work. The cool image isn't the only thing that defined Hugh Hefner. As you can imagine, he was a constant target of prudes everywhere that thought it was blasphemy to show a set of nice tits paired with an interesting article about the upcoming NFL season. He fought like hell to keep his idea and his brand intact, as well as pornography legal, so as you go into incognito mode on your phone and tap into your favorite porn site when it's time to get down next time, you can thank old Hef. That was one of his things. He gave the people what they wanted. But did he give too much of what he wanted to certain others? With horniness aplenty, were the lines crossed in the heat of the moment? And what do you think it smelled like in some of those rooms after a steamy night in the grotto? We're going to dive into these questions and more as we flesh out the truth in the Hugh Hefner episode of Asshole Court. All right, I want to give a shout out to the person that suggested the show. Their name is Natalie Howe, and their suggestion came to us from Facebook. Okay, Natalie Howe. So Natalie Howe from Facebook gave us the suggestion actually back in 2022, February okay. 2022. H-O-W-E? Nice. H-O-W-E. Okay. By Gordy Howe. I was about to say, like Gordy Howe's daughter or something. That's exactly okay. right. Natalie nice. Howe on Facebook gave us a suggestion two years ago. So there you go, guys. Prime example. Mm-hmm. Give us an idea, and two years from now we might do something <laughs> with it. And uh, my wife also suggested this episode ah. to us a long time ago. Sweet. And uh, I was like, well, yeah, I, I, if you want us to do Hugh, I'll do some research. Yeah, and we'll gladly do the research needed <laughs> yeah. on Hugh Hefner. Good That's call, true. buddy's wife. Yeah, That's right. yeah. That's right. Awesome. We got a, a few articles to touch on from the inbox. Or actually, a few pieces of mail, I should say. That's right. That came in this week. Uh, Mikey, I think you got the first one. Yes, we got a new review from Sushi Belushi, which is a very good name. I like Ooh, that. I like Sushi it. Belushi. Name. That's cool. Five star review. Ooh, even better. <laughs> Indeed. It says, I've been listening to your guys' podcast for two years now, and every show I see you guys get better and the subjects more interesting than the last. I always learn something new, and you guys put in a way anyone who wants to jerk off to podcasts. 
can understand, which I'm like, I mean, that's everybody, right? <laughs> Jerk off to this voice. Uh, I always look forward to every release, and I can't wait to see what else you guys have in store. Thank you guys for all the laughs. Anytime you're in the OKC area, drinks are on me which means that we'll be going to a quick trip, I imagine. Uh, <laughs> you say a quick trip? Oh, yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah, yeah. Uh, your longtime fan, John Wilsey, I'm not going to sound out my last name, so have fun trying to pronounce it. So I went with Wilsey, W-I-L-S-I-E. Wilsey? Wilsey? I'll go Wilsey. Wilsey. Yeah. Wilsey. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. I bet we're wrong. We're that's, probably. And that's, why, and that's why he challenged us. That's right. And that's, that's right. okay. That's all right, but so, I'll be prepared for my quick trip rooster booster energy drink. Oh when yeah, we come out to OKC. When we go to Oklahoma City. That's right, absolutely. Because every single first forty-eight that happens in Oklahoma, <laughs> the murder either occurs at a quick trip or they have to get videotape from the quick trip <laughs> because they're based out of quick trip. And it's, I mean, they're based out of uh, out of out of Tulsa, I believe. Oh really? Okay. Yes, that's all why right. So there's lots of quick trips. Anybody that watches murder shows like I do, first forty-eight, if it's a Tulsa episode, you're gonna see quick trip. <laughs> it's happening. Mikey's trying to go to the scene of the crime. That's right. Makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. And, buddy, I think you had uh, also another piece of mail from the inbox we wanted to touch on. Absolutely. Uh, we had a, somebody leave us a comment on Spotify from the Pee Wee Herman episode. Ah, okay. Pee Wee. This is from Tony. Tony. Uh, Tony. Tony. Hey, Tony. Hey, hey you don't give Tony. a fuck. Yeah, forget yeah. about it. Says, another great show from these three cunts. <laughs> Porno theater? Yeah, nah. Went there for the great storyline. Pee Wee got a beat up. Well, a beat something. Keep up the good work. Kiwi. Yes. Ah, uh, Kiwi. So he's New Zealand. That's what I'm thinking. All I right, think so he is he's, a not, Kiwi. he's not Tony from... Uh, no, no, he's, he's not a, like a... He's Tony. Fucking cunt. Yeah, yeah, fucking cunts. <laughs> yeah, he called us a cunt. So yeah. That's a oh, term of endearment. That's a term of endearment. Yeah, so yeah. thanks, thanks. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Tony. What thanks. if he really is from like New Jersey, though? And he just <laughs> loves Kiwis? Yeah. He's just like, I don't know. I just like fucking Kiwis. Man. Fuck right. these cunts. I'd call him Kiwi Tony if he hung out with us. Kiwi Tony. Yeah, there you That'll go. That'd be, be kind of fun, right? Yeah, yeah. Indeed. Awesome. Well, thank everybody for all their input, and uh, and thanks for all the fan mail. We'd love to interact and uh, and see what you guys have to say. So with that, we are going to get some pre-show scores for Hugh Hefner, buddy, start us off. What do you got? All right. So, of course, everybody's heard the name Hugh Hefner as long as you haven't been living under a rock for the past 40, 50 years plus. He's been making waves since like the 50s, I believe, mid 50s or so. So, yeah, uh, of course, I've heard of him. The first magazine I ever got was a Playboy magazine. That was I don't even remember how I got it. I was like, what? Not like a Game Pro or no, a Highlights? Or like a Highlights, yeah, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> like Goofus and Gallant. Yeah. Uh, buddy went straight no, to fucking... Dirty. Yeah. It was, I think I might have even found it in the woods or something like Everybody that. Everybody finds the porn you know? in the woods, yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, it was like one of those, like, had 12 Playmates, uh, like Playmates of the Year or something yeah. like that. And, uh, yeah, the Playboy got blasted into my brain right off of the rip do you guys remember the very first porn you ever saw oh of course yeah i think everybody remembers i remember it's fucking terrifying it was, yeah it scared the shit it out of scared, me yeah, yeah. I, was I was like, like a <laughs> vagina blew my mind i was like oh my god so i was like i don't know am i gay i was like it's hideous fucks up with that thing man yep i, I thought it would be so much less Graph predator. <laughs> well, and it didn't. It didn't help that it was from a straight penthouse. Yeah, you know what I'm saying it was not. No, 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 the first porn video. Oh yeah, no. I mean, all of that shit bleeds together. But the first, yeah, no, it's not. It's fucked up. Man. Mikey said predator face. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> when he takes off yeah, the mask. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it was, yeah. It was. 
this one, I remember just being like, oh, shit. And I even remember having a conversation with a dude in middle school, and I was like, I mean, let's be honest, like, pussies can be kind of ugly, right? And he was like, you're gay. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, am I? Damn. I was like, I'm not into fucking, but I was like, Man, yeah. I remember there was a kid in my neighborhood whose dad had, like, thousands of VHS tapes. That was, yeah, like, that was his persona. That was totally his, normal man, guy. Oh, <laughs> there was a large selection of porn yeah. that he tried to hide behind, right? Yeah. But no, we... My buddy knew where to go to find yeah. him, right? And anyway, like I said, I, I think I was probably 11 or 12, mm. and my buddy was a couple years older than me, and yeah. he was like, check this out. Mm-hmm. And I remember his parents weren't home, and we went in this like side room, and he popped it in, and like, dude, it burned into my brain. Yeah. I remember we watched it for just a couple minutes, and I was riding my bike home, and I was just like, that was fucking insane. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I can't believe people do that yeah like, yeah i mean my mind was fucking blown dude like, confession you you had heard how it worked right but once yeah, you see it, just, it work so much time, more animalistic <laughs> yeah uh-huh. so much more You're, the way it's explained when two people love each yeah, other exactly and you know I was they, like, they, they weren't even holding hands yeah oh my god he was so yeah. forceful and yeah yeah it's not how he was hurting her how my mom told me yeah <laughs> Yeah, I remember over at my uncle's house, he had the Playboy Channel when Ooh, we were growing nice. up. Yeah, nice. and I remember lines are the real, no, the like the real Playboy, Playboy oh, like the nice. real Playboy he Channel. Warney, yeah, this is uh, <laughs> yeah. on demand. Yeah. This is late eighties and rich yeah. uh, and rich. That shit was probably fifty dollars a month. That's right. Well, he didn't have kids. He never had kids, so they oh, had yeah. some disposable there income. There we go. So, but I I distinctly remember like going over to my uncle's house one time, and the family did. And my uncle had his man cave in the back, mm-hmm. and uh, they were like, "Hey, go grab my." It wasn't go grab my phone, you know. Mm-hmm. It was like go grab something from back there, and I go back there. Yeah, and the TV's on, and I was like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> yeah. So I grabbed whatever it is. Like I'm sure it took. I, for me, took I'm sure it was like two minutes, time. but I was like, like I'm sure it was like ten minutes. <laughs> yeah. I was in there. And I think I heard them coming down the hall. I was like, "Oh, I got the the baseball glove or whatever <laughs> yeah. it was." And I then, found uh, it. He said, "Wait a second, I heard saxophone music in yeah. there, <laughs> and you're rock hard, son, <laughs> and you're nine. Yeah, that was all so, the porns then had some sultry ass oh, saxophone yeah. music behind. <laughs> Coltrane, baby. Yeah. yeah. And then like maybe like an hour later, like they needed me to go get something else, or maybe I was just wandering back there because I wanted to check out again. Yeah. And um, I need to get something else from back there, right?" <laughs> I need to go check yeah. on something. Check the girders I'm, on the rotor. Yeah. I'm looking yeah. for the cat. Yeah. And uh, I remember distinctly, like, it was a scene where it was just, like, a girl, like, reading a magazine by the pool, just topless. Yeah. Noise. And I was like, okay, what's going on here? Like, it, it was weird. It wasn't just straight, always just jacket sessions. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was, yeah, they had to tell a story. Yeah, it was storylines. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was classy. It's true. Yeah, it was classy. It was. classy. That's, how, that's why you had the music. Nowadays, the only music you get is just the skin drums. That's just. exactly right. You almost like don't want music Yeah, nowadays. no, no. It's, nah. it, it ruins if the If you moment. get music, you turn it. You're like, eh, yeah, nah. Kind of like, nah. 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 <laughs> Duh. <laughs> not uh, trying to listen to rap right yeah, now. Yeah. We got or anything. Yeah. We got sidetracked. Buddy, <laughs> yeah. what do you think about it? <laughs> About Hugh Hefner. Your, your pre-show for yeah. Hugh. That's where we're at. <laughs> All right. So with Hugh Hefner, um, you know, this is somebody that really changed the landscape for nudity, the First Amendment, back in a time where there was a lot of people holding on to their guns and trying to keep it more uh, a Christian country. 
Uh, I'm going to guess because, you know, I, I never really did any research on him before we knew that we were going to do the show. Um, I've got to guess that somebody that is a titan of industry, especially in the skin industry, he um, probably stepped on a couple shoulders to get there or, you know, just did a couple of things that, you know, you might not have had to have done that other titans of industry wouldn't have had to have done to get to where they got. You think? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't imagine uh, Elon. I don't know. Yeah, well, there's no telling. Yeah. Probably could be even weirder. Who knows? This is true. All this stuff. Who knows? Yeah. But uh, for an opening score, I'm going to put him where our Steven Seagal originally was huh. at a 6.0 okay. to start uh, start off with because I really didn't know a lot about him. I just knew that he was the guy who started Playboy. Mm-hmm. So uh, pre-show, I'm going to start off you, Hef, at a 6.0. All right, 6.0. Buddy is a giant prude. He's got Hugh really high to start, even with old Steven Seagal's score that nobody has anymore. Nobody has no. 6.0 is in... He's just right there with Jose Consenco and Shia LaBeouf. So, like, okay, all right. You know, that's, that's fair. That's not that's really fair. a yeah. big prude. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not kidding. He didn't put him with Jared the Subway guy. This is true. This is true. Mikey, what do you got pre-show for Hugh Hefner? Uh, Hugh Hefner was an icon. He was definitely a product of his times, and I think that sort of did him a disservice. He probably should have died in the 70s. <laughs> Surprised he didn't. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's really... He just lived too long, you know, and it's just like the the culture changed and he just got weird and like, uh, you know, went full on dazed and confused where he got older and the chicks stayed the same <laughs> age. Um, and there is a certain point where I think, you know, everybody was kind of like, oh, it's a little kind of, it's getting kind of gross. I here, think everybody dude. got to that point at the end. We're like, a hundred percent. Yeah. Golly, yeah. Girls, yeah, you know, come on now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And um, there's a lot that's probably going to go into that. But what I will say is, um, you know, in his prime, he was a, a legitimate tastemaker. The guy had really good taste. And as much as people make the jokes about reading the articles in Playboy, Playboy published some very important stuff. And they yep. had some very good journalism. That's right. 100%. And, uh, and they were also, uh, like, he was really big in the civil rights movement. Oh, yeah. And, like, pushing those kinds of articles yeah. in Playboy yeah. we'll at the time. He was yeah. multidimensional for sure. And honestly, like, I was like, I mean, if I'm going to jack off to a mag, it's going to be Penthouse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was like, I am reading this for the articles. I've, these people are just standing there naked. I'm trying to see a vagina that looks like the predator's mouth. <laughs> <laughs> so, with that being said, all right, uh, I am going to start him off at 5.5. 5. 5.5 pre-show for Mikey. Give you some idea. 5.5 is the same score as Courtney Love and in the same ballpark as Michael Jordan and Kurt Cobain. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right, Randy, what do you got? All right. So, honestly, um, I w- was excited when we decided to do the Hugh Hefner show. Growing up, we hung out at my house a lot. Yep. Yes, and we sure And it wasn't did. like my house was like uh, the big party house and like <laughs> I had a grotto with naked chicks. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you did have sort of a grotto with the above ground we, swimming we pool. We had the that, above yeah. ground yeah. pool with the deck leading up and That's down right. from the... Where we would you know, do our Miami Vice skits. That's exactly right. <laughs> so anyway, I envied Hugh Hefner in the sense that he had like the ultimate hangout party house. Everybody wanted to go to his house yeah. to hang out, man. Well, he made it like Disneyland for adults there. Oh, hell yeah. That's how it was themed. Oh, yeah. hell yeah. And it was just like, it was nuts. But, you know, um, so that was just, like I said, the the image of cool that he gave off was, was definitely strong. I mean, like I said, the smoking jacket, the pipe, like... Mm-hmm. Everybody, uh, like I said, everybody kind of wanted to live that life 
at some point, you know, you know, I'm not going to use the phrase like alpha male, such a stupid yeah. phrase, but just that kind of, you know, he was kind of a manly man and he, you know, the, the playboy image and it wasn't like not necessarily a manly man, but, um, he was a man about town, a man about town. That's mm-hmm. a good way to put it. He was very cool. Yeah. He was just very cool. Joe Camel, the embodiment of him. Yeah. He was well-rounded. He was smart. The ladies loved him. He had interest. All he of had it. great yeah. taste, great All of style, it. Yeah. hung All out it. with the best people. That was exactly right. Mm-hmm. So, like, a lot of that, a class, you know, is yeah. what, what it seemed on the on the outside. But mm-hmm. um, a lot of shit turned up after he died. But going down, you know, pre-show, I had him a little lighter than you guys. I had him at a 4.6. Yeah. I had him at the oh, same wow. level as Screech. <laughs> uh, Dustin Diamond was at a 4.6. I got Hugh Hefner at a 4.6. Okay. I don't know. It's kind of where I'm sitting here pre-show. So, with so that's it. Nice. I All think right. your uh, your memory of him or the <laughs> memory of his image was influenced by that. I mean, you know, definitely for sure. We'll see how this goes, though. Mm-hmm. I'm ready. I'm horny. <laughs> <laughs> All right. With a 6.0 from Buddy, a 5.5 from Mikey, and a 4.6 from Randy, Hugh Hefner's pre-show asshole score is a 5.37. All right, 5.37. Interesting territory. So right around 5.3, we've got DMX and Elon Musk. (laughs) (laughs) And just above that, we've got uh, Limp Biscuit frontman Fred Durst at a 5.43. He definitely, like lived in that grotto oh Gross. oh yeah you can fucking pay me to get in that hot tub fred, fred durst name is in my script here okay of course uh so yeah so fred durst and hugh hefner are within uh, seven basis points of a pre-show uh <laughs> score that very makes interesting sense. i like that it a lot nice sense. awesome all right you guys ready to strip down and do it uh, yeah that's it i was horny all right <laughs> let's get going all, all right. right let's do it hugh marston hefner Marston is his middle name. Mm. Quite grand, huh? It is. He was born in Chicago on April 9th, 1926, the first child of Glenn and Grace Hefner. The Hefner family grew up on a quiet Chicago street lit with gas lamps and horse-drawn wagons delivering milk and ice. Trains whistled in the distance. This sound is one of the loveliest sounds in the world amidst the man who helped change the way the world masturbates. Mm-hmm. It was there in that neighborhood and home that during the Great Depression that Hugh's life took shape. Not so much because of what happened there, but what didn't. Affection, emotion, love, and certainly not sex. Although his parents did manage to have two children. The rules of the home were strict and reflected the Puritan upbringing of Hefner's parents who grew up on Nebraska farms. Ooh, bummer. No swearing, no drinking, no playing cards, no radio on Sundays. no No radio on Sundays? Absolutely not. Wow. No working either, so you're just like sitting around, not Fucking playing cards, going to church. He just—that's what you just call pin-up demand. Like yeah. he was just ready to fuck. <laughs> <laughs> his father Glenn was an accountant at an aluminum company, and his mother Grace was a school teacher. Oh my God, an accountant, an accountant at an aluminum company that has the—I don't know—Protestant work ethic and all the morals of just a, an asshole like that. That was. That's guy. That, that's why they only had two kids, and that was he was having to clock in to fuck them. Yes, and one of them wound up being Hugh Hefner. I know. <laughs> I know. It's true. Glenn was described as remote, repressed man who seldom revealed his feelings to his family and spent most of his time working quietly, six days a week, sometimes seven. He was gay. Little Hugh was described in one article I read as unattractive and shy as a kid. Ah. If he and his brother became restless indoors, they were permitted to sit at the workbench in the backyard where they could draw pictures or sculpt 
with the colored clay that their mother provided. And this is where Hugh first discovered what he liked, the human body. He often seemed entranced by the clay figures of his creation, relating them with a special intimacy. Though Hefner was bright, he did not excel in school, often sitting at his desk and drawing cartoons for hours. So many dicks drawn. Oh, I can imagine. <laughs> so many titties. Because back then, you didn't. I mean, there was no magazines at all like this. I just had to imagine. So what he they had to like. sculpt something to beat off to. Yeah, <laughs> he had to create his own yeah, porn. That's right. Yeah. Mom, brother stole my art. <laughs> yeah. Hefner seemed so totally disengaged that teachers wondered if he could hear them. Not knowing what to do, Grace had him examined by child psychologists at the Illinois Institute for Juvenile Research. Hmm. And here we fucking go again. Following a series of tests, they concluded that his problems were rather special. Hugh Hefner was a genius. Ah, his uh-huh. IQ was measured at 152. That he was bored a... at school. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Here we go. So this is, if we've got, what, <laughs> 75 people we've done a show on, I swear to fucking God, 60 yeah. of them are, have a genius IQ, they claim. Well, I, yeah. He's pre-showing right next to Courtney Love, and she was a... Was yeah. she a genius yeah, too? She I was think a genius. So. Oh man, I can't really recall. I don't know. I mean, one fifty-two, extremely high. I wonder what mine is. I don't remember what it is. I'm almost ashamed to ask my mom. I bet she remembers, but I don't know. I don't want to know what it is. Don't do one online. <laughs> <laughs> someone's like they're like i someone's, scored a perfect 100 i was somebody's, like oh. somebody's like just chilling at the house listening to this and like huh on like google online iq uh-huh. test yeah, yeah. see how that Some people, I had a guy boast about his 100 and i was like that's <laughs> <laughs> you're functioning in society yeah, you're homie. at the very top of the bell curve <laughs> <laughs> right in that meaty part, yeah. Timmy. Do you know what Did that you? is? <laughs> Do you know what a bell curve is, buddy? <laughs> Guy. All right. But the doctors added he was emotionally deficient and was socially immature for his age, and they suggested that it might help if Mrs. Hefner displayed more warmth around the house, more love and sympathetic understanding. She replied... Just try and stay out of my way. Just try. I'll get you, my pretty. You and your little dog, too. <laughs> I was like, that's that's an interesting response. <laughs> I had to Google the line from Wizard yeah, of Oz. Because yeah. I imagine his mom liked the, the witch from no, the Wizard of Oz. The, the delivery was, was clutch. It was, it was all right. It was very good. I liked it. <laughs> People and probably that wasn't Mikey clapping. <laughs> that, that was, that was the, the, skin, the skin drum. <laughs> As Hugh hit puberty and the teenage level of horny hit an all-time high, he stumbled upon his first version of porn. While it wasn't a waterlogged penthouse he found in the woods, I buddy, I told it was a Playboy. <laughs> Playboy. It was the pinups in Esquire magazine. The pinups were highly stylized drawings by Alberto Vargas and George Petty that appeared in Esquire, which in the 1940s was published in Chicago and was the most risque men's magazine in America. Hmm. Hugh Hefner had first seen Esquire while visiting the home of an elementary school classmate whose father, a commercial artist, subscribed to the magazine. Everything in Esquire excited young Hefner. Mm -hmm. The romantic and adventurous stories by writers such as Fitzgerald and Hemingway, the photographs of classic cars, the sophisticated cartoons, the travel articles about glamorous places, the fashion layouts, and the fold-out that each month offered an exquisite color drawing of a beautiful woman. Yeah, Esquire was good for a long time. Hugh loved these boobies so much that his schoolwork improved, his overall demeanor was more pleasant, and began to show more artistic ventures in general. His mother was so impressed with his improvement that Hefner was able to decorate his room with pictures from Esquire 
with his mother's acquiescence, if not approval, because of his turnaround. Yeah. So I wasn't. I, I, there's no shocking. Mm-mm. Just kidding. No, he yeah. literally started uh, being able to look at uh, Esquire magazine yeah. and put the pinups on the wall and started doing better. Did in better school. in school and was like, I love titties. If I yeah. if I had good, I can I can <laughs> look have at them all day. Yeah. His dad was like, son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah. Not on Sunday. Your whore mother lets you have yeah. this up in the house. You like women? (laughs) If I didn't live in the 30s, I'd be all over the guys downtown. (laughs) Downtown. (laughs) Things will go Uh, great when you're downtown. I always just think of the Simpsons episode where he takes him to the steel mill or whatever. (laughs) And it it turns out that it's it's also a gay club at the end. (laughs) We work hard and we play hard. They do the YMCA yeah, bump, thing. Bump, bump, bump. <laughs> Hefner was still shy, but now with a bit of artistic and emotional freedom, he began drawing for his school newspaper. And then a few years later in high school, he emerged even further from his cocoon, acting in school plays, running for school president, and even learning to dance a little bit. Okay. So around this time, he also created a comic book entitled School Days, D-A-Z-E. Oh, oh hell man. yeah. He's ahead of the curve That's there. exactly right. In which the generally reticent youngster was able to be at the center of his own imagined universe. Ooh, like Archie. It, exactly. It was like daily, it was almost like a daily, like a Seinfeld version of a comic strip of yeah, like, yeah. hey, he went to the locker and got picked on or, yeah. you know, <laughs> Hey, like yeah, I boned the teacher. I swear <laughs> it happened. <laughs> and as he's opening the locker, there's a little pin up there, mm-hmm. like, yeah. on the yeah. inside. You stay after class, Hugh. <laughs> it's just a, a drawing of him jerking off in the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> the coach is like, what the fuck are you doing in there? Or, Hefna, what's taking so long? He's got the pin up in the front, like, yeah. taped up on the wall. Uh, He's just got a really good imagination. School days, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, the quiet, shy Hef had become quite the outgoing, ever daring Hef at this point. After graduating from Steinmetz High School in the coming years, Hef entered the Army, then college, still drawing with his pictures becoming more pornographic. <laughs> you know it. He, studied- he was selling those to people <laughs> in boot camp. <laughs> hey, porno hey, pictures. Hey, Hefner. Hefner, you, I'll give you $5. You can be something good to jerk off to. And then, uh, yeah, there's they probably did some <laughs> funny, gross shit. <laughs> I was about to say, just opened his robe up, <laughs> jerk off to this, buddy. <laughs> I He's, feel like what such a juvenile <laughs> right now. <laughs> you would draw them on napkins so you could also like oh, clean yeah. up with uh, them at the same time. You do. Clean up with them. All right. <laughs> God. He studied at the Chicago Art Institute for a summer before enrolling at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, where he majored in psychology. Hefner earned his bachelor's degree in 1949, the same year he married his first wife, Mildred Williams. He later did a semester of graduate school, working in the area of sociology, focusing on the Sex Research Institute established by Alfred Kinsey at Northwestern University. Ah, uh, yes, the Kinsey Report. That's it, yeah. So he, he worked uh, at that sex institute. Yeah, that's how he was just in it. It was a sex institute. I can imagine, though, like because now it's just like passe, right? Sex is everywhere. Then... I mean, oh, yeah, that you got a hold of the Kinsey deal. report. That was like Jack material. It wasn't even, you know, you'd be like doing your research for to write your paper and you get a hold of that. You'd be like, well, I mean, Damn. you must have about 10 minute break here. <laughs> you know, I'm yeah. going out for coffee before the pornification of America. 
By the early 1950s, Hefner had landed a copywriting job at the Chicago office of Esquire magazine, which featured, again, the literary works by writers such as Ernest Hemingway and F. Scott Fitzgerald, a couple of his uh, heroes. Hefner opted not to remain with the publication when it moved to New York. He was denied a $5 raise and said, fuck it, I quit. Ah, yes. What was he making, I wonder? I don't know, but they denied him a $5 raise. Probably not much. making a dollar. He's like, I want $6 an hour. (laughs) (laughs) You're an intern, kid. You just get to get free jack picks to fucking take home. That's how we pay you. That's worth it for now. (laughs) Out on his own, Hefner was determined to start his own publication. He raised $8,000 from 45 investors including $2,000, 25% of it, from his mother and his brother. Mm-hmm. And so they combined to be uh, 25% investors in Playboy. And his brother Keith still was still alive uh, and was reading an article about him. And he is ultra, ultra wealthy and just well, yeah. Hugh Hefner's brother and gets to kind of... His dad died broke as shit and was just <laughs> mad. Yeah. Damn, that was like roughly $100,000 back yeah. in 1950 that he was able to... Uh, wrangle up okay yeah all right so we got yeah he got the money from his mother brother and and 43 other people apparently and launched playboy magazine hefner had planned to title the magazine stag party yeah but was forced to change the name to avoid a trademark infringement with the existing stag magazine yeah stag so you should call uh bachelor parties were stag parties yeah stag going going by yourself as an eligible bachelor to an event was going stag that's well, exactly right. Playboy was definitely the right call because mm-hmm. I don't think it would have had as much oh, notoriety. Stag, stag nah. I don't know. He said I got blown in the fucking Stagrado. Stagrado. Yeah, Stagrado. A colleague suggested the name Playboy after a defunct automobile company. Hefner liked the name as he thought it reflected high living and sophistication. Hefner produced the first edition of Playboy out of his Southside home. It hit newsstands in December 1953, but did not carry a date because Hefner was unsure as to whether or not a second issue would be produced. To help ensure its success, Hefner had purchased a color photograph of actress Marilyn Monroe in the nude, which had been taken some years earlier, and placed it in the centerfold of the magazine. Like, how did he get a copy of this picture and also have the rights to... To publish lucked it, out, man. You lucked out. Like, yeah. That's insane. Yeah. She was one of the biggest uh, actresses of the time. She and did some dirty stuff before she got famous, That's though. right. Man. Mm-hmm. The first issue quickly sold more than 50,000 copies and became an instant sensation, as you can imagine. <laughs> one author was quoted as saying he virtually lived within the glossy pages, slept in a small bedroom behind his office, and worked all hours of the day and night on Playboy's color and design. The cartoons, the captions, the facts, the fiction. All around the country, men looked over their shoulder walking into newsstands, buying Playboy, and then folding it up under their arms. Prior to Playboy, few men in America had ever seen a color photograph of a nude woman, and they were overwhelmed and embarrassed. So kind of like we were talking about, we're not alone, guys. No. (laughs) We're not alone. No. Eventually, the embarrassment would lessen, and Hef's Magazine became a publishing and sexual empire. America in the 1950s was attempting to distance itself from nearly 30 years of war and economic depression. For many, the magazine proved to be a welcome antidote to the sexual repression of the era. For those who initially dismissed the magazine as pornographic publication, Playboy soon broadened its circulation with thoughtful articles and an urbane presentation. I mean, who didn't read it for the articles, right? That's what we talked about. Yeah, exactly. I did. Sometimes. If it was a good article. Man, I'll be honest. The only Playboys I ever saw were when I was younger, and I 
Snuck into the closet. Definitely didn't give a fuck bush. about the articles that <laughs> yeah. were in it. Yeah, we still honestly in my twenties, I remember we we'd have them laying around in the apartments and shit like that. After a while, I mean, seriously, how many times are you gonna beat off? Especially at this point, <laughs> it's 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 you're talking about the early two thousands. The internet existed, so there yeah, was already yeah. porn. So I read a lot of Playboy articles. It was kind of like Vanity Fair with naked chicks. There was okay. a funny uh, Seinfeld episode where his dentist Tim Watley, mm-hmm. Brian Cranston, mm-hmm. had uh, had penthouses oh, in, yeah. in the uh, in the lobby <laughs> so, of the dentist's yeah, office. The dentist's yeah. office. Those are so when Jerry goes in, he's waiting. He looks over, and this guy's got a penthouse, and he turns it sideways. He's like, "What the yeah. hell?" Yeah. yeah, yeah. Penthouse was real bad. Then Hustler was like a level above that. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. And oh, that I'll was... get into uh, we'll get okay, into a yeah. little level of level of. Uh, the different tiers. Tiers. That's, that's a good way to put it. Yep. The Playboy logo depicted the stylized profile of a rabbit wearing a tuxedo bow tie appeared in the second issue and remained the trademark icon of the brand. Hefner chose the rabbit for its humorous sexual connotation and because the image was frisky and playful, an image he fostered into the magazine's articles and cartoons. Hefner wanted to distinguish his magazine from most other men's periodicals, which catered to outdoorsmen and showcased he-man fiction. Hefner decided his magazine would instead cater to the cosmopolitan, intellectual male, and feature more overt sexual imagery. So like you said, Mikey, a man about town. A man about town. A good way to put it. it. You can be outdoorsmen and fuck too, though. You know, I don't know why oh, they those guys with beards like to fuck. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> why did, that was what Boys Life magazine was <laughs> initially. And Stag magazine. <laughs> if you don't know what Boys Life magazine, that was the official magazine of the Boy Scouts. I yeah, believe. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's what you he's, get when hey. you're a Boy Scout. You get Boys Life magazine. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. He's like, I got my uh, masturbation badge. That's <laughs> <laughs> the second one I got. Yeah. I signed up. And that was the first badge. <laughs> My intro badge, this, my jerk badge is my second badge. Yeah, I'm an Eagle Scout. <laughs> I'm really horny. I really can't wait to get the wee blows. <laughs> In a series of 25 editorial installments presented during the 1960s, Hefner promoted what became known as the Playboy philosophy, an evolving manifesto on politics and governance. The philosophy espoused Hefner's fundamental beliefs about free enterprise and the nature of men and women, calling for what he viewed as reasoned discourse on the truths of human sexuality. However, Hefner never lost sight of the fact it was pictures of naked women which ultimately sold the magazine. Work on the publication consumed much of Hefner's life and marriage. By the late 1950s, Playboy's circulation had surpassed that of rival magazine Esquire, with sales reaching a million copies a month. That's nuts. Yes, it is. But personal issues loomed. Hefner and his first wife divorced in 1959 after having two children, Christy and David. As a single man, Hefner had many girlfriends and became known for his romantic, unpretentious presence, yet he earned a reputation for being controlling and trying to enforce double standards. In the 1960s, Hefner became the persona of Playboy. Again, the urbane sophisticate in the silk smoking jacket with a pipe in hand, he adopted a wide range of pursuits and socialized with the famous and wealthy always in the company of young, beautiful women. As the magazine's increased success came to the attention of the mainstream public, Hefner was happy to portray himself as a charismatic icon and spokesperson for the sexual revolution of the 1960s. This was also Playboy's golden age as ever-increasing circulation allowed Hefner to build a vast empire of private key clubs that, among other traits, were racially inclusive in a time where segregation was still legally enforced. 
A documentary on Hefner that focused on his civil rights activism later received an NAACP Image Award. Uh, nom- the nomination. Fun- the funny thing is, I just also happen to like black boobs. <laughs> <laughs> black boobs, white boobs, I don't it care. It doesn't hey. matter. All boobs. All boobs sell. Yellow right. boobs, all of them. When I was younger and I was extremely horny, I I uh, did spend some time in National Geographic magazines <laughs> looking at boobs. <laughs> Hostesses, known as Playboy Bunnies for their scanty outfits made up of rabbit ears and puffy tails, staffed the high-end establishments. The bunnies often did quite well financially via tips and were directed to keep a certain professional distance from ordinary patrons. The women also had strict conditions placed on them in regards to appearance, including their size. I saw in, uh, I guess A&E did a, like a 12-episode documentary on Hef and all oh, that. Oh, yeah. And they focused on, uh, one of the episodes focused on like the key clubs and stuff like that. And they said that the women had to wear, like the uniforms, well, they looked like just like the straight bunny things. Mm-hmm. They were like almost like a metal uh, corset, like like corset, yeah, Yeah. like underneath them. And so if like they gained even like three or four pounds, like it was like ripping into them Uh, like the whole time. That'll teach you, ladies. He definitely was like one of the first ones that was pushing that. The thing too is I, uh, (laughs) here we go. I'm an original furry. (laughs) (laughs) I was cool with the with the furries before that was a thing. (laughs) <laughs> he just like fucking rabbits, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh, now a lot of people don't realize that he financed Roger Rabbit. <laughs> it was I one just, of his uh, dreams. You see uh, those titties and the ears. <laughs> Over the years, Hefner's Playboy Enterprises also built hotel resorts, started modeling agencies, and operated a number of media endeavors. Hefner hosted two short-run television series. Playboy's Penthouse went from 1959 to 1960, which featured the likes of Ella Fitzgerald, Nina Simone, and Tony Bennett. I've actually watched a whole episode of it. How was oh, really? It? it was fascinating because it was like they modeled it after like it was his apartment, and then it would be like, ding dong, oh, hey, check it out, who's here? And they're like, oh, it's this hip cat, Miles Davis, come on in here and sit down. Everybody's like smoking and just talking like to each other. Like It looks like a house party. It's huh. very strange. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And the show Playboy After Dark from 1969 to 1970 with guests like Milton Berle and James Brown. Mm -hmm. Both programs were weekly talk shows set in a bachelor pad full of Playboy playmates who chatted with Hefner and his special guests about various subjects. The publication itself began to garner a reputation for serious journalism as author Alex Haley launched the Playboy interview in 1962 with jazz great Miles Davis. But Hefner's success didn't come without controversy. In 1963, he was arrested and stood trial for selling obscene literature after an issue of Playboy featured nude photos of Hollywood actress Jane Mansfield in bed with a dude. It showed a guy's leg, I think, in the same bed with her. The charges were dropped after the jury was hung. Oh. Now that's a hepcat joke there, (laughs) (laughs) daddy-o. The publicity didn't affect the reputation of Hefner or Playboy Enterprises. In 64, Hefner founded the Playboy Foundation, to support endeavors related to fighting censorship and researching human sexuality. By 1971, Hefner had built Playboy Enterprises into a major corporation. The company went public, and the magazine's circulation hit 7 million copies a month, earning a 12 million profit in 1972. That equates to a lot of money. <laughs> yes, uh, these days. These days. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Hefner also began dividing his time between two large mansions, one in Chicago, the original Playboy Mansion, and the other in the Holmby Hills area of Los Angeles, Playboy Mansion West. 
When he wasn't home, he was globetrotting in the Big Bunny, a converted black DC-30 jet complete with a living room, a disco, movie and video equipment, a wet bar, and sleeping quarters. The jet also featured a circular bed for Hefner himself. A fucking disco on that shit? That's right. Man. With a circle bed. God. That he said guy. it was the only black commercial jet in the world. Yeah. Painted black. Jeez. Yeah. That's just, I can't, like, I'm sure at the time it seemed really cool, but like now it just like, <laughs> seems like a waste of money. Of it, yeah. yeah. Big waste of money. Hey, you want to come out of my jet and go to a disco? <laughs> I've got a rotating bed. You should well, party all the way there. Tonight's furry night. <laughs> You're going to love it. In the mid 1970s, however, Playboy Enterprises fell on hard times. Yes. Oh, I can almost not get that out. Mm-hmm. The United States hit a recession and Playboy faced increasing competition. For more explicit men's magazines, such as Penthouse, mm-hmm. Cherry, Perfect Tens, and my father's favorite, Nugget Gallery. Damn, oh, that's Gallery. Close. Yeah. Gallery. So, like we talked about <laughs> a little dad bit. was a freak, boy. <laughs> ah, I just remember uh, in the show, yeah, like you said, Playboy was the more tame oh, yeah. of all of sure. the nudie magazines. And some of these others were. There was questionable things where I was like, I don't know if this is even legal. <laughs> Yeah, you know what I mean? In the back where the ads were. Especially with Hustler, I was like, wait a second. Man, I see I had had only seen my Playboy magazine and then I went over to Randy's house Mm. and he's like, Hey, check this out. And I was like, Oh my God, what's going on here? My cousin. So everybody usually has like a cool cousin, right? A little bit older, kind of looked up to. Yep. So that was my cool cousin. (laughs) In his room, I swear to God, um, behind his door. So when you opened up his door, like behind the door. Wait, this is the one in DC? Uh Chicago. No, Chicago. Oh, okay. Chicago. Yeah. Yep. Chicago. Where you and your sister had to share the room with the big nasty picture of the of the naked lady? The swank life size <laughs> yeah, pull out poster. We've talked about this yeah. in an episode before. Yeah. yeah, there it is. The swank <laughs> yes. life size pull out poster. Yes. I will ne- the, that verbiage is burned into my brain. Mm-hmm. Swank. Swank was yeah. the name of that magazine. They said, uh, Hugh Hefner's going classy. We're going to go skanky. <laughs> We're going to call it swank. Swank. You know, because. Kind of like skanky. Yeah. Swanky? Yeah, I don't know. It's like swell and skanky. I don't know. But the thing is, the, he said, with these guys, you know, uh, you got Hugh Hefner. He's over there trying to get everybody to, like, read and pay attention to, like, what's going on in politics. He said, I just want to see a chick piss on a guy. Oh, man. That's our audience. That's the one I'm looking for. I don't need any of that pretentious bullshit. These guys here are just horny for weird stuff. <laughs> I'm here to capitalize. <laughs> That's right. At first, Hefner responded by presenting more revealing photos of women and less wholesome poses and circumstances. Yeah. Some advertisers rebelled and circulation fell even further. Uh-oh. From then on, Hefner concentrated the company's operations on magazine publishing because, remember, we read it for the articles. <laughs> yes. Playboy Enterprises eventually divested itself from its unprofitable clubs and hotels and downsized its ancillary media endeavors. The magazine kept its new photography standards and began presenting features like Girls of the Big Ten, which, if you're looking to sell a lot of magazines to college-age dudes, seems ingenuous. What better idea than to put the cheerleaders of your favorite teams butt-naked holding a football all wrong with some eye black on in in a magazine? It's true. Wasn't that what Jenny got in trouble for in Forrest Gump and kicked out of college because she appeared with I her her so. letter ja- her college letter jacket right. in the I magazine? Saw, yeah. I think that's correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just imagine though, because when when all these other magazines are coming out, these filthy filthy magazines, 
there was like a board meeting and like this was maybe one of the topics of conversation. So, uh, do we show a butthole? <laughs> I mean, we've we've crossed the line with the vagina years ago. I feel like a butthole. We've gotten so close. You know, we were already kind of showing the curvature of like the moon. You know, it's like a quarter yeah. moon. We're already kind of seeing that anyway in a lot of these shots we're getting now. I'm thinking full butt spread. You want full moon. Full butt. <laughs> like she's pulling the butt cheeks apart, right? Does that seem reasonable? Javi, uh, I'm out on this one. Yeah, you're on your own on this one, Javi. <laughs> So um, in the a and I, I call it a hit piece on Hugh, mm-hmm. um, they start talking about how, you know, you get into the 70s with Hugh Hefner, and he's already been in this machine for 20 years, yeah. and he's been having girls uh, up for forever, mm-hmm. and, you know, there are certain expectations of the girls, and you start to get into that billionaire lifestyle or multimillionaire yeah. billionaire lifestyle where after a while, it just takes more and more <laughs> to get... You know, to get my rocks off, to yeah. get his rocks off. Mm-hmm. So you start to see that also in the magazine a little bit too, as he's trying to keep up with what's going on currently. Yeah. He never wants to lo- lose his foothold on the on the business. Edge, and yeah. yeah, so hey, man, that's a that is a a tough frontier to stay ahead of. <laughs> yeah, it is because <laughs> the stuff that I've seen on the internet shouldn't exist. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You stumble into it bodies. accidentally, and you're just like, oh. Fuck this, man. <laughs> and But you're like, there's like a whole dedicated site to it or something like that. So the idea that, like, I think it's funny because Hefner, especially in the 50s and 60s, he was like, hey, look, man, sexuality is like just part of who we are. Like, everybody's everybody's going to treat this with respect. <laughs> no, flash, flash forward. In 1970s, like, I don't know, buttholes? <laughs> we gonna, you know what I'm saying? Well, they also were kind of hitting on them, too. A lot of the girls were saying that, he never wanted to get anybody pregnant, so he preferred the back door. <laughs> and all these girls had never really experienced any of that. And so there was a lot of them that were like too shy to really say no and knew that they wouldn't be able to be in the yeah. magazine if they said no to that. And so a lot of them were not happy about that about Hugh. Well, that's that's unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what to say next. Yeah, I mean, that's a good way to put not it. good. Also, uh, yeah. He's just like so. Uh, I mean, they're consenting. I don't like, like to get girls pregnant, so you know how. Butthole. That. <laughs> <laughs> also, you're like, there's other options, man. Like, yeah. well, we'll talk about that in a minute. Okay. Actually, in 1975, Hefner decided to make Los Angeles his permanent home, so he could more closely supervise his interest in television and film production. He wound up donating the first mansion to the School of the Art Institute of Chicago. That's nice. And made the Playboy Mansion we're all familiar with today his permanent party pad. The Playboy Mansion definitely hold has on, a certain... Hold on. They gave it... They turned it into a school? They donated it. And at first, he charged him a, a real low lease amount to the Art Institute of Chicago and then wound up donating the building to him. Yeah. So the math room was like the previous orgy room? 100%. And stuff like that? 100%. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah, a lot of people got but it's a just an art, it's an art institute <laughs> yeah, school yeah but it's an art school so they're probably just drawing the sex scenes in the rooms that occurred yeah, yeah. yeah they're probably yeah. watching like videos that are just even creepier you know because it's like all the people that are listening to this and with the art school are like fuck you dude <laughs> whatever you know, <laughs> you know what performance drawing naked is? people all day you dumb shit <laughs> assholes yeah a lot of naked drawing you do <laughs> the playboy mansion definitely has a certain lore to it the list of names of those that have enjoyed the festivities it has to offer is quite plentiful. Hef had a person on staff named Jenny Lewis, 
whose job it was to keep a list of women who were welcome to come to his parties in his weekly Fun of the Sun Sunday pool event, at which the playmates frolicked topless and celebrities frequented. Hmm. Young Hollywood, such as Gwyneth Paltrow, Ben Stiller, Sarah Michelle Gellar, and Fred Durst, had rediscovered him while they were in their heydays. Yeah! He never really stopped being famous, but he definitely rediscovered himself again in the 90s. Hugh became hip again. He likes to tell the story of how Leonardo DiCaprio said it was his fantasy to find himself at 3 a.m. in the infamous grotto, the mansion's underground swimming pool outfitted with scented candles and love cushions. The Ew. corridor. Oh. oh, those cushions have seen a lot yeah. of buttholes. A lot of love. <laughs> a lot of buttholes. Yeah. <laughs> and and probably like literally a lot of buttholes because there's probably a lot of naked people getting out. Oh, yeah. Out. And they're getting too drunk. They're not... They're not the, the polite type that walk around with a towel, <laughs> you know? <laughs> polite type. Yeah. The corridors of the second floor of the mansion are lined with photographs, hundreds of them, dating back to 1970, when Barbie Benton picked out the house. They offer a kind of history of the place, and of the last 30 years of celebrity, there seems to be almost no one who goes unrepresented. But lining the walls in no particular order as they do, it's hard to tell what it all means, if anything. But Hef appears in most of the shots. There's Ralph Nader, Walter Matthau, no. Patty Hearst, Darva Conger, Cameron Diaz, Mick and Bianca, Ringo Starr, Ben Affleck, Dick Van Patten, Carl Reiner, Bill Cosby, Chris Christopherson, Dr. Ruth, Eddie Murphy, Charlie Sheen in a bathrobe, Jimmy Kahn with a bunny, Jack Nicholson and Warren Beatty both with long hair, Whitney Houston, Whoopi Goldberg, Leo Cher, more Jimmy Kahn, Gene Simmons, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Bob Saget, Weird Al Yankovic, Rod Stewart swinging around a bunny with no panties on, more Jimmy Kahn on roller skates and overalls with no shirt on, a bunny giving fellatio to a banana, Roseanne, Pamela Anderson, Michael Jackson, John Belushi looking extremely drunk, Bill Clinton... And lots and lots of Hugh Hefner. Many shots of Hugh clowning around in Native American headdress, playing the saxophone, dancing, singing, and posing with bunnies, bunnies, and more bunnies. What was Michael Jackson's experience like there? <laughs> oh, I don't want to go down the crowd. I'm uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just like that awkward pause. Um. Yeah. Hugh, I I'm think ready. I'm going to go. Yeah, Hugh, I'm ready to go now. <laughs> Stop trying to send women up to me. <laughs> the sex bed. <laughs> the stories from those that partied at the Playboy Mansion are epic, but the stories of the ladies that live there are even more telling of what it was like to live in a septuagenarian sex palace. One playmate said on an early episode of Secrets of Playboy that she thought it was really gross that Hefner didn't want to use protection during group sex with her and other women at the Playboy Mansion in Los Angeles. Gross. Yeah. So many ways. There was a doctor that they had on site there that would, um, they would like, oh, I'll be sitting down at dinner. Mm -hmm. And this was like before the 80s AIDS scare, stuff like mm -hmm. that. It was like one by one, they would like be asked to like, oh, just come over here for, to this other room for just a second. And the doctor would like kind of look them up and down, give them a test or two, and then like either clear them for fun or not yeah this one doesn't stink half you're good <laughs> noise gross yeah but the whole thing is really strange like man that's uh i just can't yeah, yeah I don't it's know. hard to wrap your head yeah, around it's, right it's, uh, yeah it's, it's i feel lot. like i would get bored i mean how many times can you really fuck 
you know? Yeah. Well, there, there's allegations of him getting bored and things escalating. The reality uh-huh. star who lived with Hefner at the mansion as one of his main girlfriends from 2001 to 2008 and appeared with him on the e-reality show The Girls Next Door went on to describe the first time she had sex with Hefner and other women after they all returned to their mansion from a night out. There was definitely no romance or seduction or anything like that. It was in a dark room, but there was a giant movie screen of porn on in front of the bed. He was in the middle of the bed, and the women were surrounding him. It was all very mechanical and robotic, and you would just kind of follow the other women's lead, she added. The impact it had on me was so heavy. I never expected to be the first person to have sex that night or to be pushed into it. Hefner's other girlfriends, twin sisters Carissa and Christina Shannon, reiterated the same during the March 28th episode of Secrets of Playboy. The problem is, Hef doesn't like to use protection, they said. From the butlers, we just order a big bowl and we put hot water in it. Then we put rags in it, so whoever was having intercourse with him, when they were finished, they can wipe him off, and the other girl could do it. God. There it is. I knew Mikey would love that part. Oh. There's so much wrong there. Also, they're twin sisters? You remember the, the, yeah, the, the twins? The twins, the blonde twins. Yeah, out of like the early aughts. Yeah. Or yeah. mid-aughts. Yeah. I feel like that's a taboo you don't really want to do. Carissa and Christina Shannon were their names. Yeah. Can you imagine... Fucking with your with your, your sibling, sister? and then and then like a, just a bowl of water with rags in it that you wipe up with. Yeah, what are they like? Fucking Civil War doctors? <laughs> <laughs> Pour the hot water. Yeah, yeah. He said, "I got a fucking sponge on his stick." He said, "Just clean his balls off real good." You're up next. <laughs> Get in Tag there. Tag you in. Yeah, in. like the arm out there, like on the on the mound. They're calling in the yeah. fucking relief pitcher. The docuseries released after Hefner's death had a lot of people coming out and telling their stories of what it was like to party with Horny Hef. One of the ladies on the show said in the docuseries that Hefner referred to Quaaludes, the brand name for a prescription sedative that became a popular recreational drug during the 70s and 80s and something Mikey desperately wants to try. Yes. He called them thigh openers. Gross. Yep. We went out. uh, That's, yeah, that's not good. Nah. No, (laughs) not at all. We went out to a nightclub, and I was sitting next to Hef, and he leaned over and asked if I wanted to take a Quaalude. I said something, nah, I don't do drugs. According to her, Hefner told her that he typically didn't do Quaaludes either. Nah, nah, me either. (laughs) I just (laughs) have them in my pocket. Yeah. She went on to explain that she drank a lot that first night out due to her nerves and ended up going back to the mansion with Hefner and the other women where she and the Playboy founder later had sex. When I first arrived, it seemed like most of the women who were coming through and testing for Playmate felt like they had to sleep with him to get Playmate of the Year. Not every single one of them did. There were a few exceptions, but I think a lot of people felt like they had to. Several other women featured in the same episode seemed to corroborate Madison's account. That was the lady's name. Okay. You know, I, I hear a lot of these. I saw a lot of these girls talking about that, and I mean, I know that there was some messed up stuff that went on, but a lot of them had this kind of like, they were like, it was a cult, and you just... You know, you were free to leave whenever you wanted, but we wanted to get paid. So, like, you know, we had to do what he wanted to do. And I'm like, dude, you could have just left at any freaking time that you wanted. I think, well, yeah, because it's, it's, I guess you're getting into the gray area of what constitutes, like, rape or sexual assault. Whereas this is not necessarily the case, but they obviously are coerced in some way, right? Like, nobody in that situation is going to choose to, to fuck s- this dude. <laughs> yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, get, a, get the fucking, you know, the sponge on the end of a stick, you know, <laughs> wash him off, do it unprotected, all that stuff like that. 
So I guess the, the question is like, and everybody sort of knows that and the, you have sugar daddy situations now that are people that aren't famous, but there's something sort of inherently icky about it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. For sure. I think it was known what they were sort of expected to do. So Jennifer Sagnior, the daughter of Hefner's personal doctor at the mansion and the author of a tell-all memoir called Playground. P.J. Maston, who was a Playboy bunny and a bunny mother from 1972 to 82, made a similar statement. In order to get Playmate of the Year, you had to do some pretty wild things up in the bedroom with Hefner and his friends. You had to vie for that position. What is a bunny mother? Uh, the one that kind of looked after the girls that live at the mansion. Oh. They kind of, it was like when they aged out, like got to 30 or so. Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. a madam. Ones. Yeah, yeah, a madam. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. The girls did a lot to win that favor, and Hefner knew that they would, so we usually played that up. Sandra Theodore, who dated Hefner from 76 to 81, said in another interview, Theodore lived with Hefner at the Playboy Mansion in Los Angeles during the time they dated. I walked in once, and he was to my dog. To our dog, Theodore now said on a previous episode of the docuseries. I was like, what are you doing? He says, well, dogs have needs. And I said, stop that. She added, I never left him alone with the dog again. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. Did I just hear that Hugh Hefner fucked a dog? Yes. That's what they were alleging. That's what this lady said. Did he fuck the dog or jerk the dog off? Or so there is it. That's all I got out of it was he was with the dog. Okay, so in the beginning of so that... So, buddy, tell us all the details. <laughs> in the beginning of that episode, they showed a guy who worked security for it, or for, for Hef during that time, and he was like... It was just like a clip of him real quick, and he was like, you know, a lot of stuff went on up in those, uh, you know, rooms. You know, uh, Benoit balls, sex swings, sex with dogs, and like it cuts real quick. I was like, what the yeah, fuck? That's a... Uh, they're all freaky, but that last one is extremely <laughs> freaky. Yeah. So um, they talk a little bit about, uh, I guess this was getting into that same like late 70s, yeah. early 80s era where he's been the Hugh Hefner for 25 years, 30 years at this right. point. She was like maybe his girlfriend from the 70s to 80s, a five year period. And okay. She said she walked in on him one time and he was messing with a dog. And she's like, what the hell are you doing? He was like, dogs need love too. Her and that one security guard are the yeah. only ones that ever said anything about it. But there was also allegations about there was a there was some lady who was like in the around the 70s was in some movie called like Deep Throat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's uh, what's her name, man? I mean, that was like the biggest. It was the bit. Yeah. Like one of the biggest. Linda more, Loveless. Nancy yes. Reagan. They was, yeah. <laughs> throat goat. Throat goat. <laughs> throat goat. Uh, but she, I guess, might have been like married to a. Uh, He's basically a pimp. A pimp. Yeah. 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 And the, the Linda Lovelace story is pretty notorious. It's yeah, it's pretty bad. They they allege that maybe that he drugged her up and brought her over to the Playboy Mansion, mm-hmm. and she went up to a room where a bunch of guys were just standing around watching while she gave a dog a blowjob, and they were all laughing about it. And yeah. uh, I mean, there's there's some pretty harsh allegations that come out of that show, yeah. like nasty allegations. That's just I, again, I'm just like I don't. Uh, yeah, it's beyond me, man. That <laughs> is doesn't even seem real, you know? Yeah. Like you're like he's like Hugh Hefner fucked a dog. And then he also had some other weird things. Like uh he's hanging out and like uh stroking off uh Chris Benoit's balls. Yeah. I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't know what a Benoit ball was either. So it's the wrestler's balls. It's uh, the wrestler that killed his whole family, it's his balls. Interesting. Yeah. 
<laughs> According to several playmates and one of Hefner's ex-girlfriends, the routine weigh-ins to ensure women living at the mansion stayed at what Playboy deemed that perfect weight had negative effects on their physical and mental health, and no big surprise. Hold on, though. You know, it's in the grand scheme of things, you're like, oh, he made him weigh in, but he fucked a dog. <laughs> like, I can't, I can't get past that one. This is where the to, show stops I, for Mikey. I, I think it's where you have to end. You have to end there because all these other things mean nothing now. <laughs> you are two pounds too heavy. <laughs> Goodbye. For, for a second, I thought, buddy, I thought it was being like, well, only two people said he fucked a dog. And I was like, nobody said I fucked a dog. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's two more than anybody at this table. <laughs> Uh, by the time I was 20, I weighed 90 pounds, said former playmate Susie Kraybacher in a March episode of Secrets of Playboy. According to Kraybacher, she occasionally did cocaine to stay thin when she worked for Playboy and ended up later in the hospital. It was really hard and it took a lot of therapy to go back to regular eating. Theodore added that a lot of girls at the mansion were fresh off the farm. They felt like they had made it, yet those same girls months later would go home a skeleton, she recalled, just a mere shadow of themselves. Theodore, the dog viewer uh, even pointed out in 1977 <laughs> photo of herself taken while she was living with Hefner as proof of the extreme toll life at the Playboy Mansion took on her I was skin and bones Theodore said of herself in the photo and he had tapes on everybody according to Theodore when she first noticed that Hefner was recording their sexual activities during their time at the Playboy Mansion she was immediately taken aback and asked him what he was doing when we first started bringing other people into the bedroom some girls had the same reaction and they would say oh I, I can turn it off. If it's not okay, I can turn it off, Theodore recalled. <laughs> she said that when other women who were... No. <laughs> <laughs> that means that there's a tape of him fucking a dog. Potentially. She said that when other women who were participating in orgies with Hefner and Theodore asked Hefner to stop filming, he would just adjust something on the camera and tell him he wasn't recording anymore, and that the real-time footage still appearing on the TV screens in the bedroom was only so they could see what was going on. So they were like dumb making, <laughs> but I imagine he had like cameras all set up to where like the TVs in the bedroom, you could watch yeah. yourself. They yeah. said that they would like even like rewind parts of it while everybody was in the room. So you could kind of see yourself in action. Nobody wants to see that. Mm. I can't, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't like, I just, it's always like wild. Like the idea of actually me, like maybe in those moments you're kind of like, oh yeah, we should fucking film this shit. And then you're like. No, absolutely <laughs> no, not. No, no, because the then you see how, how weak your stroke is, you know? My whole life I've done nothing but, like, if I'm watching something fuck, they're really good. They're good at it. They're pros. Yeah. Well, I'm not. So I don't want to, <laughs> like, there's me with my, like, just, you know, pasty white ass, like, just, like, minimal stroke. With Hugh Hefner sitting on the side, like, NFL commentating on yeah. it. Yeah, you you know? Look at this here. He's not even got a dog involved in this one. <laughs> <laughs> But Theodore alleged that the magazine mogul was still actually recording his sexual encounters despite what he told the other participants. Maybe a week later or a couple days later, all of a sudden, there's the tape, she recalled. It wasn't just after Hef died that he got in a hot water with folks. The magazine was a target for critics who took issue with his objectification of women and barely veiled emphasis on commercialism. Feminist icon Gloria Steinem famously went undercover as a bunny waitress in 1963 to showcase what female workers endured in a two-part show magazine article. Steinem's expose was later made into a 1985 movie starring none other than Kirstie Alley. 
Kirstie oh, Alley. Wow. Yeah. Really? In 85, Kirstie Alley was hot. That That's was true. Like, that was Cheers hot yeah, Kirstie Alley. She was Alley. on the. On Cheers. Yeah, the top of her career at that yeah. point. Yeah. Then she got gigantic. And then she got into QAnon. And then she died. Did she really? She, she, did. she died? R.I.P. Kirstie Alley's dead? 100%. Big in the QAnon world? Real big into it. And then she died. Wow. Huh. That yep. sounds like a conspiracy Why? court episode right there. Maybe. Interesting. Maybe QAnon. I will say this, and this is not totally related to Hugh Hefner at all, but as I was driving down to work this morning, this truck was in front of me, and... On the back of it, it had a sticker that said, the cream rises to the top, and it was Macho, Macho Man. Man. Yeah. And I was like, fuck yeah, and I was going to give the guy a thumbs up, and then I saw a QAnon sticker on it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and I no. was like, oh, no. no. Yeah, the cream rises to the top was the Macho Man That's exactly slogan. right. Yeah. yeah, it was great. And then I saw the QAnon sticker, and I was like, how can somebody be so cool and so not, fucking not yeah. cool? All in the same truck. That's right. All right. Anyways, yeah. Kirstie Alley is dead. Uh, huh. Interesting. Throughout the 1980s, the moral majority had waged a campaign against pornography from the right, while Andrea Dworkin and Gloria Steinem attacked from the left. AIDS made sex scary. Political correctness was in, and yet the hardcore porn trade was also flourishing, cutting into what Hef calls the classier Playboy profits. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In the 1980s, the magazine's circulation fell to 3.5 million, from which it has never recovered. The last Playboy clubs in Chicago, L.A., and New York closed their doors in 1986, which meant the end of the bunnies' heyday. They had been mostly waitresses by the end of it. I meant to ask you this earlier. What is a key club? I don't. I, I meant to ask. I don't really understand. So the key clubs were originally in the 60s. It was just like clubs that they mm. that Playboy opened up, and it was like a. A bar and you know like a disco club and stuff okay. like that. Yeah. Um. And then I think maybe like the second year in, they started offering like keys, like membership keys, where you okay. could buy like different tiers, I guess, almost okay. if you would, and it would like offer you like entrance back into like VIP rooms and stuff oh, like that. Yeah, yeah. If you were a key holder and stuff yeah, like that. Like if you got the Delta Travelers thing where you go hang yeah. out in the lounge. and the lounge and stuff like that. And so I think the bunnies were also instructed to. Treat the key card holders yeah. or key holders on there. a little bit more uh, special than just anybody who else was in the in the club regularly. Mm, okay. Yep. And all races were welcome. Yeah. yeah everybody that, was welcome. That, part's cool. that was a big big part of it. Yep. In 1985, Hefner suffered a minor stroke, with entrepreneur blaming it on stress from director Peter Bogdanovich's book, The Killing of the Unicorn, Dorothy Stratton, 1960 to 1980, which profiled the life and murder of a former playmate. The stroke served as a wake-up call for Hefner. He stopped smoking, began working out, and adopted a slower pace in his pleasurable pursuits. He married his longtime girlfriend, Kimberly Conrad, in 1989, and for a time, the Playboy Mansion reflected an atmosphere of family life. James Conn was shown at like that time, and he was like, This sucks! <laughs> you don't do it! <laughs> it seems like James Conn was at the Playboy Mansion a lot. A lot. Yeah. He probably did some horrible things. <laughs> The marriage produced two sons, Marston and Cooper. So again, there's some more yeah. Marston and Cooper. Marston and Cooper. Hefner. My dad is in the skin trade. <laughs> <laughs> the Hefners separated in 1998 and officially divorced in 2009. After the separation, Kimberly and the two boys lived on an estate next door to the Playboy Mansion. While the magazine saw more modest sales in a changing publishing landscape, the Playboy brand remained a formidable entity in terms of global licensing opportunity. 
The Fame logo also made inroads into various avenues of pop culture, as seen with its display on a chain regularly worn by fashionista Carrie Bradshaw, Sarah Jessica Parker, her character in Sex in the City. Uh, dude, I remember back in like, it was like 05, 06, we had a friend that um, his wife, you know, we always went to the pool with them and hung out with them, and she would have those like, the little like... The things that would give you a suntan. Oh, tan, yeah. The tan yeah. It was like the, the bunny. Playboy bunny. Yeah, it was yeah. the Playboy yep. bunny thing. That's right. Yep. She had some true religion jeans on, <laughs> fucking extremely tan, yeah. frosted ass hair, and that Playboy bunny nipple ring. That's right. Oh, yeah. Belly button ring. For, for sure. sure. Oh, Tramp for stamp. Sure. Yeah. There's a lot of people listening right now that maybe have the Playboy bunny tattoo and are deeply regretting it. Oh, yeah. And, and a the barbed ring. wire oh, tattoo. Yeah. yeah. In his later years, Hefner devoted much of his time to philanthropy and civil projects. He directed his foundation in 1993 to launch the annual Freedom of Expression Award at the Sundance Film Festival. Hefner also gave to the University of Southern California $100,000 for its censorship in the cinema course and went on to donate $2 million to its film school in 2007. Additionally, he made major contributions to the restoration of classic films, one of his great passions. Hefner reportedly was in discussions with Hollywood studio executives for many years to create a biopic about his life. Director Brett Ratner was linked to the film at one point with several major stars named as prospects for the lead role, including Tom Cruise, Leonardo DiCaprio, and Robert Downey Jr. Hefner and longtime girlfriend Harris became engaged in December 2010, and the couple tied the knot at the Playboy Mansion on New Year's Eve 2012. After the ceremony, the 86-year-old Hefner tweeted, Happy New Year from Mr. and Mrs. Hugh Hefner with a photo of himself and his 26-year-old bride. 86 and 26. 60-year difference. 60-year difference. God dang. That means I would be fucking somebody that's negative 22. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say 107. <laughs> All right, 100 and 103. Then it really would be like the Civil War doctor. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I got a good old oh, guy. I got a great oh. trick for this. Pull my skirt up, Mark. <laughs> Hold on, let me get my sponge on a stick. <laughs> You're from 102 years old, right? I'm not doing good yeah, math yeah. right now. 102. 102, yeah. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Not negative two. No, no, negative two. Negative yeah, twenty-two. It's the opposite. Mikey's going up. Yeah, that's what I would be dating. Oh yeah, yeah. I'd be I'd be talking to the mom right now. I'd be like, I can't wait till you pop that kid out. <laughs> that's like right. 20 Twenty-two years. Twenty years. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, Playboy was set to undergo a transformation. In October 2015, Chief Content Officer Corey Jones revealed to the New York Times that he and Hefner had agreed to stop using photos of fully unclothed women. The change was part of a strategic decision to secure more advertisers and better placement on newsstands, as well as a response to the proliferation of internet pornography that had made the magazine spreads seem old-fashioned. The March 2016 issue featured a bikini-clad model Sarah McDaniel on the cover, the first time Playboy presented itself as a non-nude magazine. She was like, thank God, I don't even have to get naked for the Playboy <laughs> That's cover. That's it, got the cover. However, the change was short-lived, not long after Hefner's son Cooper 
took over as chief creative officer in 2016, it was announced that Playboy would again feature unclothed models. Yeah. Attaboy, Coop. April 2016. <laughs> yeah, he said, one month later, bring on the buttholes. <laughs> nudity was never the problem because nudity isn't a problem. The creative chief tweeted in February of 2017, we're taking our identity back and reclaiming who we are. Cooper had also voiced his displeasure with the Playboy Mansion going up for sale, though he was unable to have his way on that issue. In the summer of 2016, it was announced that the mansion had been sold for $100 million to a neighbor under the agreement that Hefner and his wife would continue living there until his death. Hefner died on September 27, 2017 at his home, the Playboy Mansion in Holmby Hills, California, the age of 91 years old. Hugh M. Hefner, the American icon who in 1953 introduced the world to Playboy magazine and built the company into the, one of the most recognizable American global brands in history, peacefully passed away today from natural causes at his home. The Playboy Mansion, surrounded by loved ones, Playboy Enterprises, confirmed in a statement. In true Playboy style, Hugh Hefner had bought the mausoleum drawer next to Marilyn Monroe in Westwood Memorial Park in Los Angeles, where he was buried on September 30th, 2017. Spending eternity next to Maryland is an opportunity too sweet to pass up, Hefner told the L.A. Times in 2009. Taking it back to where it started. That's it. And that, boys, is Hugh Hefner. Okay. I love how they try to make it like sort of endearing that he like buried himself next to <laughs> Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> Marilyn Monroe. That's who made him rich or helped with the first episode. I know, I know. Would they bury him next to the dog mausoleum <laughs> <laughs> he's not getting past that folks no never he's not so let's uh let's wrap it up let's get some post show scores some final shit buddy what you got there was a a couple of things because i mean a lot of the stuff that we covered throughout the show a lot of it is more like sexual proclivities but doesn't really speak to him as being an asshole for the most part showing assholes but not an asshole Fucking assholes. Yeah. Now, they did talk a bit about how back at the mansion there was cameras everywhere, and there was also microphones everywhere. And Hugh was, al- it was almost like Epstein style. Yeah. Where he would record everything and have, because, yeah. you know, you, all, you had a lot of celebrities over there. You had a lot of senators. You had a lot of congressmen and mm-hmm. stuff like that that would come through. So if anybody ever started coming at Hef... Uh, allegedly, he would be like, well, hey, remember when you were doing blow with, you know, Miss March or something mm-hmm. like that? And he would get a lot of stuff buried that way in order to protect the company and protect himself. Yeah. Um, blackmail. Yeah, yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> it's yeah. like actually called blackmail. Yeah. And uh, so if that, a lot of that was going on, you know. That- Nowadays we call it male of color. <laughs> <laughs> MOC. That's at Randy at HC Podcast. So there was that. There was also a story of um, Don Cornelius from Soul Train. Yeah, Yeah. Don Cornelius. That's right. That silky smooth voice. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, there's a story of him in the Bunny Club. He was a key holder up there at the Bunny Club. And there's a story of him. Now, girls were never supposed to leave with any of the clients and stuff like that. Right. But there's a story that two twins he talked them back you know to a you know i'm having a party over at my house Mm -hmm. they went back with him and he tied them up in like separate rooms and for like three days these twins were missing there was some crazy stuff that was alleged that happened to him did he get in trouble for it well 
the it was the seventies, man. Nobody nobody cared about that stuff. <laughs> it's, it's, it's true, though. Unfortunately, and a lot of it was the way that they portrayed it in the documentary was that if you made noise that damaged the brand, you were out immediately. So they had people on site that like one of the girls got to a phone yeah. and called one of like security over there at Hef's place. They drove up immediately, got them and brought them back home and they had their doctors there. So it was like everything was in-house. Mm-hmm. So because if you went to a hospital, you would have to explain what had happened. Yeah. yeah. Police get involved in all that. So you know that show Soul Train? And it's <laughs> crazy. Yeah. There's this guy and he's insane. And so you were supposed to get, like, if anything was ever suspect, you were supposed to get your key card taken away immediately. Mm-hmm. And a week later, here comes Don again into the club. He didn't get his card taken away. If all of this is true, you got to you know that Hef knew about all of this. Right. Yeah, sure. So, you know, there are some kind of shitty areas, you know, where it's like, you know, what's he going to do to protect the brand and... Well, celebrity was currency to him, too. He oh, loved yeah. the celebrity of course. Oh, yeah. Of course. Yeah. Can you, I mean, honestly, I think about this all the time because everyone's like, oh, yeah. You know, he had all these celebrities coming over to his house. I'm like, man, fuck that. Like, I barely want my friends coming over to my house. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Much less a hundred people I don't know every goddamn night and fucking in my hot tub. No thanks. <laughs> no thanks. Yeah. So, uh, there's a lot of stuff that is in that documentary but there's all of it are just allegations because i mean mm-hmm. as they say time and time again like he was never charged with any of this stuff there's almost mm-hmm. nothing that ever got brought up against him and they uh, he did die like literally like a month before the me too movement yeah and a lot of the girls are like saying that if he had just lived one more year yeah, yeah. so much stuff would have been you know cosby wrote it out for four decades just yeah. raping left and right yep. before, like i said they honestly that stuff was just sort of like accepted to yes. some extent you know which is really unfortunate but yeah. they're like hey, hey hey i mean look it was a rough night for you but it's Don Cornelius, you know? <laughs> and a lot of them are, uh, they said a lot of them would say, look, this is Don Cornelius mm-hmm. or, you know, celebrity yeah. X, Y, or Z. Yeah. Here's a girl that has shown herself nude in magazines. Who do you think that they're going to believe? Because Don's going to say I didn't do it. Right. Or yeah. the celebrity's going to say I didn't do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, what do you think is going to happen? Sure. No, absolutely. So, yeah, it's, it's definitely, uh, it, it was hard to watch for sure. Um, so getting into <laughs> Randy's reaching down in his pants. Uh, I don't know what's uncomfortable. <laughs> I just got a dog down there. <laughs> I just had to retuck my shirt. Chill out. <laughs> Good timing. <laughs> so, um, you know, getting to final scores, that's it, a tough one. Um, I do believe that there was stuff that Hef knew about and that he was constantly trying to protect himself and protect the brand. And I'm sure there was a couple of things that got swept under the rug that really should not have. I think he should have had his employees' backs a little bit more than he did, but uh, I think he was out for self-preservation just a little bit more. So, given that, you know, he didn't kill anybody, that's a tough one. I think he's going to end up, I don't know, I think I'm going to put him at his final score as a 7.5. I, I got to jump him up a little bit just from watching that show. I don't believe everything that was on there, but I think at the end of the day, I got to give him some extra points for stuff that I think was swept under the rug. So, yeah, final score, 7.5. All right, 7.5 for Buddy Mikey. What you got? My man fucked a dog, (laughs) (laughs) 7.25. Sexual deviant. (laughs) I don't know if Mikey will ever have that image. Uh, There's no way I wouldn't. That's the last thing I would have expected. I was like, obviously, he's a sexual deviant. I thought you were going to talk a lot about... 
you know, having sex with all these, and they were like, kind of like, oh, it's kind of gross because he's old as shit, and I'm not, and I need the money or whatever. But then, like, I was like, literally, like, wait, did I just hear correctly that he was boning a dog? <laughs> yeah. That I, honestly maybe deserves more, but I'm gonna go seven point two five. Hugh Hefner fucks dogs. All right, seven point two five for Mikey. Randy, bring us home. All right, so I had him kind of light, I guess, to start with. Um, yeah. Going through the research and, yeah, kind of going to your point, buddy, a lot of the dirt you uncover, just, you know, a lot of the stuff you swept under the rug. He's I, a sleazeball. Yeah, he's a bit of a skis. I jumped him up as well. I had him at a 6.7 was my final score. All right. With a 7.5 from Buddy, a 7.25 from Mikey, and a 6.7 from Randy, Hugh Hefner's final asshole score is a 7.15. All right, 7.15. Just above international douche Andrew Tate, who came in at 7.11, and just below live strong douche Lance Armstrong at 7.17. That's the douche corridor. That's it. So, yeah, Andrew (laughs) Tate, Hugh Hefner, and Lance Armstrong is how our new uh, scale falls with the addition of Hugh. Awesome. We hope you enjoy this episode of Asshole Court. If you haven't checked us out on Patreon, definitely go do that. Patreon.com slash AHC Podcast. We're getting more members. We're loving it. We do love the interaction. Again, show shout-outs, uh, suggestions. We get a lot of, uh, again, fan interaction um, that we really enjoy through the Patreon page. So we encourage you to go check us out on there. Um, join a level of support. You get cool shit, swag, bottle openers. We've done stickers, all kinds of shit. Uh, hit us up, AHC Podcast. Or again, Patreon.com slash AHC Podcast. As always, thank you for your support. Be kind to one another, and we will see you next time on Asshole Court.